What is the role of mission and outreach in the life of a church or in the life of a disciple of Jesus? Is engagement in missions an optional activity that some churches choose to get involved in, or is it an integral part of what it means to be a Christian? Where exactly is the mission field? Welcome to the CGN Mission and Methods Podcast, Season 3. My name is Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, and I will be your host this season. The goal and vision of this podcast is that this would be a forum for communication about Calvary Global Network. We want to share with you some of the stories about what God is doing. We want to talk about some of the initiatives that we're involved in spearheading. And we also want to answer some of the questions you might have about who we are as a network. In the episodes in this season, I'm joined by Kellen Criswell, the former executive director and now global strategist for CGN. And in many episodes, I'm also joined by Brian Broderson, founder and president of CGN and the pastor of Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa. In this episode, I speak with Kellen Criswell and Mike Neglia about the history of missions and missional engagement in Calvary Chapel and why this is a core value of CGN as a network. We talk about how Calvary Chapel has been privileged to be part of two great revivals, one in the United States in the 1960s and 70s, and another in Europe in the 1990s. I share some of the history of Calvary Chapel's mission work in Central and Eastern Europe, and Kellen shares some practical steps for how to live with a missional mindset no matter where you are in the world. Here's the episode. Welcome to the CGM Mission and Methods podcast. This is Nick Cady. And one of the things we're talking about today is something that's very dear to my heart, as well as it is to the hearts of the men in the room with me right now. And that is missional life and ministry as a core value of who we are as CGN and what we do. So I'm joined today by Pastor Mike Neglia from Cork, Ireland. Hi. Hi, Nick. And I'm with Kellen Criswell of Calvary Global Network. Back again. There you are. Notorious. Kellen, you were the one who really put a lot of this language together. So let's start with you. Define for us what you mean by missional life and ministry. And then I want to hear about how this always has been part of who we are and how it is going to be as we move forward. Sure. So like uh, what we're talking about here is CGN has at least four core values as we've got them articulated so far on our website. If you go to calvaryglobalnetwork.com, one of those is missional life and ministry. And so I think in a, in the broadest sense, just missional thinking is part of maybe an umbrella category of missional theology. And I think at the foundation of what that system of thought is connected to is really it's linked into what theologians call the Missio Dei. They use that nerdy Latin term. It just means the mission of God. And I think one of the clearest articulations of what I think of with the Missio Dei is actually given to us by Paul in Ephesians chapter one. I'm just going to, I'm going to read this. I think it's one of those, you know, foundational key verses to this, yes, but Paul in uh, Ephesians chapter one verses, I think nine to 11, right? This is a new King James version because, you know, I'm a Calvary guy. So that's deeply ingrained mm-hmm. in my blood. So forgive me. But Paul, he, he makes a statement, having made known to us the mystery of his will. So he's saying, God has a will. He's got this mysterious plan, this thing that I think implicitly he's working for, right? And so he's made known to us in the church. This is uh, this is intimate family knowledge that the church uniquely gets directly from God by scripture, by the spirit. So he says, he's made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. So he's happy about this, which he's purposed in himself. There's There's a lot of 
there's a lot of repetition of this, these ideas of intentionality in God with what he's talking about here. So he's purposed this in himself. And in verse 10, he starts to tell us what that is. He says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, and I like that because he's saying God not only has a plan, but he's actually unfolding it at specific, intended, decided upon moments, working itself out throughout human history. So in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. And so what you don't see in any of the English translations here is that this phrase that's translated in the New King James Version, he might gather together one, um, all things in one. There's different terms used to get at this really dynamic, multifaceted Greek language that's there. So some translations will say, God is going to unify all things in, in Christ. Others will say he's going to reconcile all things in Christ. And so as we looked at that, we're, tr we're trying to look for a word that en encompasses all of that. And so we chose the word renew. Hmm. And so using that term, we would kind of summarize what Paul is saying here in his summary of the Missio Dei, if you will, is that God seems to be throughout history on this mission to renew all things in heaven and on earth through the person and work of Jesus. So with missional theology, it really starts there, this conviction that history is not just happening, you know. God is really superintending and guiding all of human history in this missional spirit that centers in Christ to bring global renewal to all the pieces of creation that have been marred by sin and human sin and error. And so for us as the church, missional theology would say, that it, taking our cue from that, the church then is, we're, to, we're supposed to understand the nature and purpose of, of the church in light of this mission that God is on. And the way that I put it is we believe that the church is first a consequence of God's acts in that mission, mm. and then we become the catalysts of that. And in terms of what Christ is doing, and it says in Christ is the place that uh, God's mission is coming to fulfillment, we think that the central things that Jesus did to make God's mission effective are his life and death and resurrection. And so where we're the consequence of God's missionary activity, Jesus comes in the fullness of time. He lives for us. He dies for us. He rises for us. And the gospel begins to be proclaimed. And every time a person comes to faith in that, the church grows a little more as we become spiritually alive for the first time. Mm. And so the church grows and it's through that missionary activity of God by the spirit now and through the gospel that we're be, the church is becoming the, the consequence of God's missional activity in the world. And then, of course, as those who've been reconciled to God through the gospel, we become the catalysts of that gospel, that gospel mission because we proclaim the gospel as well. And so I'll, I don't want to go on and on and on and about, but just to lay some of that theological foundation, when you ask, like, what is missional Christianity? That's really where it comes from. We go back to the mission of God and we move forward to the church as a consequence of that mission and then forward to the church as a participating catalyst of God's mission, partnering with him in the world to carry out his unfolding mission of redemption in Christ in the world. Well, let, let me ask you this. Is there an alternative to this? I mean, what, what other <clears throat> views on Christian living exist other than a missional one? Yeah, that, that makes sense to me, but it also sounds refreshing because it's not mm -hmm. the standard understanding of, of mission. So what would you say to that, Mike? What are some other standard ideas about mission? Well, I mean, maybe just starting with the idea of that the, the church, not as the consequence, but as the catalyst of the mission, mm -hmm. that essentially Jesus came, lived, died, rose, and now we 
get the news out. Mm-hmm. But I love how you're backing us further back to be like, listen, God's ascending God. God's an active God. Mm-hmm. And so we're caught up in that flow and we're being like renewed and renewers. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe an understanding that some of us have or have kind of absorbed is that it's kind of just up to us to just, you know, kickstart this mm-hmm. or like, you know, you're, you're pulling the engine on the on the lawnmower to it's get like going. Jesus was like, okay, I'm going to take off now. Now, hey, by the way, you guys are, here's your job. Right. But it was much more than that, right? It's, we're continuing his mission. We're, we're the consequence of his mission. And now, yeah. 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 So I think when you're asking about like alternative visions of church, I think that one of the things that the missional movement has sought to renew that I think you do see in the book of Acts. So everything I just described, again, I'm reading from Ephesians, right? But even in the book of Acts, you know, it starts with Jesus saying, I'm going to ascend. And, you know, the times of this unfolding grand scheme, those are set in the Father's heart. Those are for him to know, Acts 1.8. But Acts 1.4 through 8, you're going to be empowered when the Spirit comes, and I want you to be witnesses to me. So it, it starts with this, this very sent, empowered sentness of the picture of the church and Jesus' followers with his ascension. And isn't that really what we see unfold in the book of Acts, right? And so this exists in the pages of Scripture. It exists in the early church. But I think what many in the missional movement of the last maybe, you know, 50 to 100 years would, would contend is that not, by, not across the board, of course, you know, the church is global, the church is, is multicultural, so we, we don't want to get carried away overly broad brushing. But I think maybe particularly in the West, there, the critique would be that the church has, in many cases, or at least in significant cases, lost that sentness, that sent impulse as part of its core identity. And so a lot of times what happens is the church in a, in a local congregation setting, it almost seems to just exist for itself. Mm-hmm. We're here to teach us about how to live better lives, just to better our lives in itself and just kind of exist and maybe, or we exist to worship God in songs together and so on and so forth. But it lacks that sense that every single one of us are this catalyst of God's mission in the world today. So maybe it's that way. Like it's either we just exist for ourselves, or if we do start talking about mission, we jump right over our, our neighbor. We jump right over our local community. And we think about just a few of us Christians who maybe get sent to quote the foreign mission context, where a significant piece of missional thinking would say, no, every Christian is on mission. Not every Christian is an intercultural missionary, but this sentness is not just for a few of us. This sentness, the sentness of the church is for all of us. So when Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I send you in John 20, he's not just saying that to the apostles. He's saying, hey, grandma, you're sent. Yeah. He's saying, stay at home, mom, feel a sentness to your daily life. Mailman, you are sent. We as the people of God are the sent catalysts of God's mission. So I think those might be some some alternative approaches that the missional movement, I think, maybe feels like they're trying to bring some correction to a little bit. Yeah, and I would add that it also it also emphasizes the fact that the mission field, the place where the mission takes place, is not just somewhere else. It can, and it is, mm-hmm. but it's also here, right? The yeah. mission field is the whole world for which God gave his son. And 
Another one is this idea that mission is not just like a hobby that some Christians have, right? Like right. I'm into singing and I'm into mission. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, what What are you into, right? I'm into drawing or whatever it is. It's not a hobby. It's somebody, I remember when I first came on the church that I'm now pastoring, we were setting up an online system and they were asking me what kind of affinity groups, if you will, we should create in this online system. And they're like, oh, we should start one for people who want to be evangelistic and missional. And I'm like, no, don't do that. Because think about what that implies. We're, we're putting those people in a category so they can talk to each other, but the rest of the church won't be privy to the conversations mm -hmm. they're having about missional living. I said, that is who we all are. That's who we're all called to be. So yeah, it's definitely an important mindset. So tell me about this. Let's, let's discuss Calvary Chapel has a history of doing this both abroad and locally, right? This missional culture mm -hmm. has been part of who Calvary Chapel and CGN have, have always been. Talk to me about that. Yeah. So I think what I would first want to do, I'll just, just, if you'd permit me, permit me, just read the statement that we have on the CGN website about what we mean by this missional life and ministry. So what we wrote there is it says CGN values the flexibility to be both biblically faithful and culturally engaging as we proclaim the unchanging gospel message in terms and methods that overcome cultural and social barriers to understanding. That's it's a little bit wordy, but and there's there's more to it than that. But I just want to stop there because I think that gets to this question you're asking about the history of Calvary Chapel. So to be missional, like sometimes people hear that and they they think of you know different examples people they've seen tied to that word and they get fearful about compromising biblical truth in the name of reaching the lost or engaging culture and so on and i would say that true missional biblical missional thinking doesn't do that we, we would say no we hold on to the core essentials of the gospel the core essentials of the, of the faith to evangelical orthodoxy if you will but we do it in a way we we are also concerned with presenting those truths in, in means and in methods and in forms that the actual people we are trying to reach are really going to be able to understand and connect with so that they can believe the gospel, so that they can understand the life and the way of Jesus. And so when you look back um, at the history of Calvary Chapel, to me, it's it's very clear in in the literature whether, you know, what are, the, what are some of the classic texts that tell some of the, the ways that God used Calvary Chapel in the context of the Jesus people movement revival in the 60s one of the books i think of is the the book harvest right this is this tells the story of a number of the what we'd say are first generation calvary chapel pastors in addition to chuck smith's own you know initial story and how god brought him into the the revival and used him but it talks about how they went from being these culturally speaking very disengaged people from what you'd say is the established forms and models of Christian church at the time. But going from that to being reached with the gospel, becoming believers, coming into the church, being discipled and becoming the initial pastoral leadership of this what's now the Calvary Chapel movement. But one of the things that you go back, like nobody was using the words contextualization at that time in our circles particularly. But it's really what was happening. You had people that were, you know, Chuck Smith, others who were preaching the faithful gospel. They're teaching the Bible, but they're looking at the differences in the culture between themselves and the church and who they're trying to reach. And they're seeing hippies. They're seeing anti-establishment peoples. And instead of requiring them 
to uh, change the way that they dress, to change the form of music that they had. Instead of requiring them to even adopt new terminology, I mean, it's funny, you watch some of those old videos of Chuck Smith and he's saying words like, you know, like tubular and righteous or wh whatever they said back then. But, you know, he's he even accommodated some of their slang language to relate to them. One day uh, as I was sitting in the little church on Sunflower in Greenville, this group of hippies came in and they said, we're musicians and the Lord has given us, we all accepted the Lord here, you know, last week and the Lord's giving us some Christian music and we'd like to share it here if we could. And I was a little skeptical, but I said, well, you know, can you give me a demonstration? They said, yeah. And so they went out and got their uh, guitars and all out of their van and the, you know, the, their instruments and they came on the bass and all and, and they started singing uh, this song and, and as they started singing, it was so moving, so touching. I started weeping. And so I said, it's Monday, and I said, we have a Monday night study with the kids. Can you come tonight? And they said, well, one of our lead guitarists uh, is doing weekends in jail, but he gets out at noon, and so we can probably make it. He was doing a marijuana rap on weekends. And so they came that Monday night, and it was just electrifying. Long hair, short hair, some coats and ties, people finally coming around, looking past the hair, straight into the eyes, people finally coming around. It was the story of what was happening uh, during this great uh, movement among the young people. And, and what I would say is, yes, there is a sovereign work of God's Spirit creating revival, but there also was this, maybe unintentional, but whatever it was, there was a contextualization happening where Chuck is holding on to these essentials of the faith, but allowing expressions and forms that connected with the culture of his day, and it resulted in effective evangelism and discipleship, and even an openness to the lost to hear what we had to say back then. And so... I think there's there's a Calvary Chapel again without talking about ourselves as such is a very missionally missional minded movement in its in its roots. Absolutely. Yeah. And Mike, so we were just talking about this um, recently. You had said to me this idea that Calvary Chapel essentially was part of two revivals. Tell me more about that. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, funny enough, what Kellen even just mentioned. You you talked about Chuck Smith and how. God brought him into this revival. Yeah. I mean, I, I love even just like recognizing the priority and, and the hierarchy of that. Mm -hmm. Obviously, mm -hmm. you know, like God was doing a revival and mm -hmm. he was sweeping people into it who wanted to be involved. Yeah. And and I love that. Yeah. We understand that the church is the consequence of his mission, not mm -hmm. the initiator of it. And while the Southern California or the U.S. revival that's called the Jesus movement is maybe pretty well known. It's wonderful, you know, as uh, yeah. all of us have spent time in in Europe. I I lived there almost uh, 18 years mm -hmm. and we know that like there was another revival in the 80s and 90s in in Europe that God used Calvary Chapel to be part of. And and I'm I'm in Western Europe. I'm in 
Ireland. I'm as west as you can get. But Hungary was kind of the launching point of that. Or, or do you want to fill us in on that? Yeah. Nick? So it was around the time of the the end of communism, actually before the end of communism. And, you know, this was part of it is that Chuck Smith, everybody could kind of see the writing on the wall. And yeah. everybody had been trying to find inroads into communist Eastern Europe. Now, Calvary Chapel had gotten involved in some stuff in Germany that was a genuine revival mm. around the area of Ziegen yeah. and things like that. And at the same time, then they they got a property in Austria. And the goal of the property in Austria was that Austria was slightly more available to people from the Eastern Bloc, particularly from Yugoslavia. Yugoslavia wow. was much more open than the Warsaw Pact countries. And so they would host these conferences, which were attended by a lot of people from Yugoslavia. They got invited to go and do an outreach in what's now Serbia, but at the time was just called Yugoslavia. So Brian Broderson and Rob Salvato and several other people went over on this initial trip. And during that trip, they, they really saw nothing happen for about a week. And then towards the tail end of their trip, they go to this city in northern Serbia called Subotica, which, you know, they had no idea the strategic, hmm. they, they weren't strategizing sure. about this. But in retrospect, it was incredibly strategic because this is a city that's 30% Hungarian, 30% Serbian, and 30% Croatian. And so, you know, what that means is that those people have inroads into all these surrounding mm -hmm. countries through their relationships and through their ethnicity. In that city, God did an amazing thing through just some people getting out guitars and then preaching. Hundreds of people got saved in Subotica. From that, churches were planted in Baja Hungary, Seged, Estergom, even before the church in Budapest started. I mean, it was a true work of God. And and it, it's still, you know, the fruit of that is still ongoing. But you're absolutely right. There was uh, a real move of God, particularly in that area of northern Serbia and in Hungary. Yeah, and, and I think one, what's in, one of the things that's important about discussing this in the context of talking about missional life and ministry and our past and our present and hopefully our future sure is that as you talk to Greg Opine, as you talk to Rod Thompson, if you talk to Mike Harris, if you talk to Brian, Rod, the, the people who were really the tip of the spear for Calvary in this sense and going over and, and seeing God do a very similar thing that he did in Southern California in the 60s, mm. doing this in Europe in the mm. 90s, is the same missional orientation toward culture is present in the hearts and in the minds. And again, this is not because it was trained into Calvary per se. It's a very unique thing that God is doing. Most of these people we're talking about, they would tell tell you if they were sitting here and they've said it to us many times. These are by definition, uneducated quote and untrained men. <laughs> There's no, they didn't go over there with their handbook of contextualization. This is just kind of the, the atmosphere of mm -hmm. what Calvary was historically. So they go, they're preaching the gospel, but as it's moving into these very multicultural and different types of situations, because they just had this really, I think it was like a simple commitment to gospel oriented grace that became this freeing thing where they allowed a lot of expressions of the faith of these new Christians to just kind of take the forms that needed to be taken to fit this new cultural context that they were in, but in a way that did not compromise the integrity of the gospel they preached or the way that they were even teaching the scriptures. And so, again, 
nobody's using the words at the time, but that is very much an example of what we mean by this missional life and ministry that I think at this stage with CGN, as we've developed this ministry organization, again, some because the terminologies may be new for them, they're going, oh, these guys are doing something new. They're right. doing something different. Right. And I think what we're saying is, no way, man. We just want to make sure we hold on to our real roots and that we don't just celebrate how God used us in that way in the past, but we seek to see him do the same thing for culture today and into the future as we continue to be a catalyst of God's mission in the world today. So, Mike, you are a missionary, and yet you're also an Irish citizen. Sure. And so what does that look like for you as a pastor? Is it just that I do missions because I'm a missionary, or is it now transitioned to like, like, what does missional life and ministry look like in your context? And how would you say that that could inform or help somebody who's not in your context? Right. Well, it's it's interesting because, yeah, I've I've lived there for next month. It's going to be 18 years for my wife and I, both, both living uh, together in Cork, Ireland. And I don't really actually use the language of missionary anymore. Mm. Now, does that mean I'm not being missional? Like, not at all. I just find that the term missionary sounds very like othering, to use that word, that it's it's me and it's you, or or that those are the people, and there's the missionary who's sent. Now, some people use that that vocabulary and language, and that's that's fine. But I think after you're there for nearly two decades, maybe it's not the most useful anymore. But on the one hand, so much of what we do is, I'm sure, very similar to what you do in Colorado and what faithful pastors all over the U.S. or South America, wherever you're listening to this, like our life there is very similar to, to your life. We want to like love our neighbors, love the city. We want to equip and build up the, the Christians, the church that's there, that they might be like the healthiest and the most flourishing and the most, here's the thing, like replicating. And that the people who know and love and follow Jesus that are part of our church, Calvary Cork, would want to also see their friends, neighbors, relatives come and know and serve and love Jesus. So what do we do that's like different than any other local church? I don't know a whole lot more. It's just that there's a whole lot less Christians in our city than there are in others. Statistically, I think there's between 1% and 2% of self-identified evangelicals in, in Ireland. Now, again, not everyone who calls themselves an evangelical is truly born again. And you don't have to call yourself an um, evangelical to be born again. But it's a very much fringe movement within the broader Irish society and culture. So we try to make sure that our people are as like as biblically literate as possible. We're not assuming that there's this like broader biblical knowledge they're tapping into. We want to help people to understand the Bible and the Bible's main point, which is Jesus Christ and his gospel and have like a great fluency in that so that it is the way people think, the way people communicate, that secondary tertiary issues are not prioritized in our gatherings and hopefully not in the lives of our church because the good news of Jesus and his grace and his gospel needs to go far and wide across Cork City and County because it's so important. So what do we do that's different? I mean, we just make the gospel most important. And I believe that's the same thing for hopefully every single pastor, every single church leader who's listening to this. The way to be missional is to make much of the gospel and Nick, I've, I've heard you use this language in regards to preaching. You say that good preaching is an act of loving God and loving people. Because you love God, you want to be as clear as possible. Because you love people, you want them to understand it as best as possible. You want the truth and you want it to be accessible. And any type of missiology that, that kind of filters around like looking cool or having a cool aesthetic 
or like candles in your church. Like that's not missional. Missional is loving God and loving people and trying to make that connection between them easier rather than harder. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was living in Hungary and same, you know, I wasn't there quite as long as you have been in Ireland. I was there 10 years, Uh, but during that 10 years, you know, I moved there when I was pretty young and I ended up, I mean, I really just immersed myself in Hungarian life and culture and I became a Hungarian citizen. My kids went to Hungarian school. We spoke Hungarian at home and in some cases and stuff. So I remember one day just thinking like, okay, so I'm a missionary, right? But I also, I had a job as well in addition to pastoring the church. And I started to wonder like, okay, actually, is there, like at what point am I any different than the people that I'm working with at the church? I mean, they're doing the same jobs as me and yet they're not called missionaries. And, and sometimes they, I could tell that some of the people we worked with were conflicted about that. They're like, well, shouldn't we also be considered missionaries? And then I was at the point where I'm like, I don't really use that word. Like you were saying, Mike, when I talk to people and yet missional living is what we're doing. And here's what I got to think mm-hmm. about. Okay. So I want to train these people and lead them in such a way that when I leave, it isn't like, well, that was what the missionary did, but we're not missionaries. And so mm-hmm. now we just got to keep this thing going yeah. or something. And, and there's no view towards, you know, missional life and ministry in their city. That was something we want to be completely ingrained yeah. in them. Yeah. And I think that's, that's something, that's what's doing in my mind is where I'm listening to all this great stuff you guys are saying is I think with this missional conversation, it's really, a few things are really important. One is that we kind of dispel this myth that the missional people are what we're saying, missionaries, people right. who move from their home culture to another to reach others with the gospel. Missional is, it includes that, but it's bigger than that. It's also more than this other thing we've been talking about a bit, which is allowing the way that a local church expresses its gatherings or its worship or something. Sure, that can be a missional mentality as well. But I think the 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 most important thing that we don't want to lose, maybe some of us need to recover it, really has to do with what you might say the average Christian is, right? It's somebody who's a believer, but they're not in vocational ministry. They're not a missionary. They're not a church leader, maybe, you know, but I think recovering the sent nature of an ordinary Christian living their day-to-day ordinary life. And I think that part of why we've chosen this as a core value for CGN is we want church leaders to say similar things that you guys are saying. We want first the church leader to believe that, again, the mailman is just as much a part of God's mission as I am. And his role in his daily life is just as much of an important piece of the church catalyzing the mission of God as me preaching the Bible on Sunday morning, week in and week out is. And so the way that I think about this is I often say that missional Christianity contends Every single Christian is is an essential and sent participant in the mission of God. And missional thinking is when the the ordinary Christian who might, you know, again, you work at a grocery store, you work at a coffee shop, you see every place that you are as the place that you are sent. You see every co-work you you have as the, the person to whom you are sent. You see the people you share a property line with wherever you live or an apartment wall mm-hmm. as the people to whom you are sent. And it's just all of us from, you know, top to bottom, left to right, big to small, whatever it is, we all adopt this vision that we collectively as the people of God 
are sent on mission to be Christ's representatives. And then that flows out into a life. So, so the next time you see your neighbor, instead of just ignoring them, maybe you think, well, but I'm on mission to this person. So maybe I should just do something simple and learn their name. Maybe I should not just ignore them, but recognize we're in a pandemic and in the, in the, in the spirit of repping Jesus to them, I should go and ask if I could bring some groceries to them or pick up some prescription meds. You know, it starts to trickle itself out in a thousand ways. Maybe instead of just showing up at this coffee shop and getting my coffee and bouncing and being on my way on my commute to work every, maybe I should start to learn the names of these baristas and ask how they're doing and just be available to God in his mission in the day-to-day of life. I think that's the kind of stuff that we need to make sure we don't lose in, in, in our churches and, and in the messaging, like you're saying, like, I'm going to, I'm going to shut up. But I think what makes a missional church is the constant presence of the sentness of every child of God coming through loud and clear in sermons week in and week out in this mobilizing spirit that we are in this together and we are on mission together. So Kellen, you lived in Europe for a time. Yeah. Now, when you moved back to Southern California, did you leave the mission field? And let me put it this way. Did you retire from being engaged in God's mission? Talk no. about an easy question. Talk about a, a little well, pitch. Where I do think, though, this could be a, a little harder question, though, is to maybe say, is everybody a missionary? Did I stop being a missionary when I came back? And I want to, like, take one for the team in the sense of intercultural ministers. Yeah. Because I don't think that it's helpful to call every Christian a missionary. I think that's one of the great things the word missional does for us is it gives us a way to describe me living in my home culture still as a sent person on mission that doesn't rob the uniqueness of what it means to be called to move from one place to another and to minister to people from a completely different cultural background. And we've talked about this in your podcast, Nick, yeah. your personal podcast, but that that's a specific and unique thing. I would link it to the New Testament gift of apostleship. Some of us are called to do that pioneering, unique type of work, but all of us are called to be on mission. So for me, in terms of the nature of my day-to-day life, it didn't look any different living in Hungary as opposed to what it does living here in my home culture of America. Because again, This is about a kind of heart you have. It's a kind of lifestyle you live. So if I'm in Hungary, uh, they speak a different language. I'm going to have different things I need to learn to love and serve and accommodate the people I live by. But I'm still going to go to the coffee shop and learn some names and just pray and be open to where the Holy Spirit might take those relationships. Just as if I'm here in Orange County, we're speaking English now, but I'm going to Portola Coffee and I'm going to learn the names and be open to what God wants to do. But that's about me just living life with a sense of sentness and openness to God using me for the gospel wherever I am. I remember being a missionary and visiting churches, and uh, I would speak or something. And then afterwards, a lot of people would come up and say, hey, that's cool that you're a missionary. I like to think of myself as a missionary too. Do you get that one ever, Mike? No. Oh, really? Wow, I'm surprised. I got maybe maybe you invite that type of maybe yeah, you do. make it more inspiring, whereas whereas I don't. Yeah, but, I, but it was I, at first I was like, okay. Cool. I'm so glad that you consider yourself to be on mission with God here where you live, yeah. wherever that is. Yeah. But on the other hand, it does a little bit diminish the fact that I, I lived thousands of miles away from my family and my home culture, right? And so I, I really totally agree with what you're saying, Kellen. We, these two are not at odds, right? It's about a heart and a sentness, and yet there's something unique, and that's why we, we care for 
our missionaries. And we do encourage, you know, people to, if you're called by God to go somewhere else, we want to get behind you. We want to support you in doing that. And so, yeah, there's a difference between a missional heart and, you know, the person who's called into a cross-cultural um, miss, missional situation. Yeah. And yeah. in the context of even, even CGN, what we're talking about here, like I kind of jotted down some notes beforehand mm-hmm. and I, I wrote about like, you know, we go, we plant and we support. This is like an exciting thing. Part mm-hmm. of our, like, I think Calvary DNA mm-hmm. is encouraging people to take these steps of faith, yeah. you know, Hey, just go, go do it. We called it adventure in faith in the old days. right? Yeah. And, <laughs> and I think that's, that's a great thing, you know, the going and then the planting and, and the staying, you know, certain people leaving home, moving Again, if it's, to, you know, if it's from the U.S. to South America or to Africa or to Asia or to Europe or to, you know, and then there's this like wonderful organic follow up that I have benefited from and that I've seen of, of like the supporting, which I think is a wonderful thing, which um, I think up until this point has been largely through individuals organizing, but that there is this wonderful thing of just like this generosity within the DNA, I believe, of Calvary to not just send and plant, but to support and to keep people there, which is a wonderful thing that I, I do want to highlight um, as part yeah, of the podcast. Yeah. And it's, it's biblical, right? We see Paul, 2 Corinthians, doing this, appealing on behalf of others to support those who are in need in other parts of the body. I, I remember before I moved to Hungary, this was actually maybe one of the biggest convictions that got me to go to Hungary was this idea that I, I started to just have this understanding about the the body of Christ being being bigger than a local congregation. So I'm part of yeah. this worldwide body of Christ. Yeah. And there's some parts of the body that are highly resourced and highly doing great. Yeah. They're strong in every way, whether not just financially, but even spiritually and in numbers, et cetera. And there are other parts of the body that are weaker. And isn't it the responsibility of the stronger parts to serve the weaker parts and, and to work together as a body? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so let me ask you this. What are some practical ways that we can encourage our church members to live missionally? Yeah, well, I wrote a book. No, it's... <laughs> <laughs> actually, we did. So there's this... <laughs> yeah, <Not> really. <laughs> now, this the, in 2020, um, so I would just speak... Now I'm speaking as a part of the leadership team at a local church, Calvary Costa Mesa, right? And this is important to us. You know, we're not just out here pontificating and telling people what they we think they should be doing we, we're we're praying and thinking through these processes processes ourselves how do we maintain and cultivate this missional sent impulse in ourselves as leaders but in the people that we have been given responsibility for to shepherd and to um, encourage and following in a faithful life after Jesus you know and so part of the challenge to that I think especially in some ways when you have a church like ours which you know, this will bother some people, but we really are an attractional church model. We have a central location with church programs and events and things. And from a from a programmatic a corporate standpoint, it's a lot of come and see. And that's not all bad. Mm-hmm. Even even our Bible teaching history and, and heritage has become an attractional piece to the life and ministry of Costa Mesa. Hey, this is where you come if you want to learn the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and many have come here to get that. So it's an attractional thing. So one of the things that can happen out of those good things over time is the church unintentionally develops this 
perspective that that's what faithful Christianity is. We show up for the program, we listen to the great man teach the Bible, and that somehow means we're doing this thing with God. And what you inadvertently or unintentionally lose is that outward impulse to go back into your life, to live on mission wherever you happen to be with Jesus. And so we've just felt the need to be very intentional in cultivating that. So part of that is we need to make sure that the sentness is dripping from our sermons, right? But also we developed a discipleship process that we call Equip that we now, uh, we link it to service, formal roles of service in the church. We call people to serve in the broader ministries of the church. But for everyone who does, we ask them to go through this kind of training and equipping process that we use and take as an opportunity to really start to dig deep in this missional mentality with each member that goes through that. And so, but anyway, all that to say, like we, we list actually a bunch of things in the equip curriculum is what it's called. We're going to have this, we're actually going to make this available to train people through CGN in some different ways as well, but it's simple stuff. So I'll just give you the five, five out of the like 10 things that we tell any, any Christian can essentially do this. The first one is like, know people's names. Like that's as simple as it is. Like you can, introduce yourself to your actual neighbor. Just learn some names, your barista, whoever it is. We tell people another simple way to, to start cultivating a relationship for missional opportunities is to offer to help. And, you know, again, I gave some examples of like, you're in a pandemic. Can you pick up groceries for people? Can you just check on somebody? Just mm. ask, is there anything that can that you need help with in this difficult time that we're facing as humanity on this earth? You're, you'd be amazed at this, the, the inroads to ministry that just something that simple offers. So know people's names, offer help, ask how you can pray for people. And I think a lot of times mm -hmm. as Christians, we get all stressed out. We're yeah. like, well, non-Christians aren't going to want prayer though. And it's just, my experience has been, if you just actually step out of yourself and ask that question, you, people, they tell you, people are yeah. going through yeah. stuff. Even yeah. people that don't even know if they believe in, in God, they're like, I hope there's a God. So sure, you can pray for me. I need all the help I yeah. can get. And just the things that God can start to do by his spirit. So yeah, so know people's names, offer to help people, pray for people, invite people into your life. Again, you know, it's been weird because it's been a pandemic, but in most places around the world, things are opening up a little different. If you have the ability to invite someone into your home for food, to invite them to your favorite coffee shop. Just invite them in in some way to start sharing a common point of connection and then just trust that the Lord will guide in that relationship and bring up the right things at the right time to create connections to the gospel for you. And then uh, the last thing I would say is at some point, we all want to eventually share the gospel, right? right. It's, it's great to love people. It's great to serve people. It's great to know their names. But the gospel is a message that's meant to be proclaimed that has to be believed for people to pass from spiritual death to spiritual life, be reconciled to God, become a consequence of God's missionary activity in the world, and then they get to join him too. So we want to eventually be looking for God to cultivate that courage to share the saving message of Jesus. So again, you know, I'm not trying to give you, here's my 10 secrets of success. But you did get five. The, the point of this <laughs> is, these are simple yeah. things that, any Christian can do. You yeah. don't have to go to Bible college. Yeah. You don't have to be a pastor. It's just really being a loving human with the heart of Jesus. But it sounds like you've put some thought into doing that. So I would say, you know, to the person who would ask this question, you know, how can I help my congregation? How can I encourage my church members to live missionally? It sounds like in addition to those exact steps, the bigger picture is kind of like, 
put some thought and intentionality into how you're training and shaping your people and for sure and communicate these things. I think that's really good. So you said that this equip program will become available. And as it does, I'm sure it'll be available on calvaryglobalnetwork.com. Yeah, we've been uh, using this process. It's it's also a customized process. It's not just a canned curriculum. But we've been doing this for two years now. We've had, I think, around 450 people go through this curriculum in the past couple of years. But it's something, yeah, that I, it, it, again, with our vision of Calvary Global Network, we're doing the mission of God. And the way we participate in that is we proclaim the gospel, make disciples, and plant churches cultivate relates to church planning. And what I would love to see is people go through the process with CGN directly for their own discipleship. But I also want to use it in the way you just described to help church leaders think through how they could disciple people in more of a missional mindset in the context of discipleship in their own churches. So certainly be looking for that. If you want to just make a a contact because you're you're like, hey, I want to think through this, you can reach out to us at cgn at calvarychapel.com or you can reach out to us at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa and any of our leaders would be happy to talk through some of the things that we've been learning and doing in this area. As we conclude this episode, Mike, would you please just pray for us and our listeners that God would lead and work in this endeavor of missional life and ministry? Yeah. What an honor. I'd be glad to, Nick. Thank you. Kellen, it's been great talking. Thanks, buddy. Lord, You are the creator and the sustainer of all things. Uh, Lord, you looked and you saw us in our ruination, in our rebellion, in our farness from you. And rather than shrug and turn away, rather than hike up the hem of your garment so that we wouldn't stain you, Lord, you reach down. And we thank you so much for your reaching out to us. And Lord, for those of us that have been gripped by you and saved unto you, help us in whatever capacity or realm of responsibility that we have to join you, to to join your mission. And for those of us who lead, help us to inspire others to do the same. Forgive us for the times when we viewed our churches or our ministries as um means to an end or even the end in themselves. But I pray that we can be by your power reaching out to our communities, to our cities, to our villages, and getting this wonderful good news out. It's reached us. So Lord, why can't it reach so much more? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the CGN Mission and Methods podcast. The Calvary Chapel CGN International Conference is coming up soon. It will be from June 26th to 29th in Costa Mesa, California. Our theme this year is gospel culture, and we will be joined by great speakers like Tony Clark, Tim Chaddock, and Ray Ortland, to name just a few. There will also be helpful seminars on many topics related to different ministry areas. For more information and to register, go to conference.calvarychapel.com. In our next episode, we will highlight one of the key initiatives CGN is developing in the area of leadership care and coaching. What is CGN doing to help pastors and ministry leaders get the support they need to continue serving the Lord and serving their congregations well? 
In that episode, we will be joined by Rob Salvato, and we will share about the opportunities that exist for pastors and leaders in our network to get help, whether it's for struggles in their personal lives or if they need coaching or resources to help them lead their churches. New episodes are being released every two weeks, so make sure you subscribe to the podcast so those episodes will be delivered to your device as soon as they come out. We'd love to hear from you on these episodes. You can email us at cgn at calvarychapel.com. And if you'd like to support this podcast, one of the best ways you can do that is by giving us a rating and review on your podcast app. Written reviews are particularly helpful in helping boost this content so other people can find it and benefit from it. Until next time, God bless you.